welcome back to Cannonballs, the podcast where we dive straight into the deep end of the literary canon. Well, it's less like a dive, really, and more like a very undignified splash. I'm a very bad swimmer. You know, it's like a, it's like a cannonball. You get it. I'm Gemma Kaneko, alongside, as always, Ben Cosman. Hello. Back with us this week is Cut 4 writer and baseball ranter, Michael Clare. Michael is also the greatest lover of all things spooky and scary, and we're happy we're here with us on this, he's here with us on this Halloween Eve. Hi, Mike. Hello, and yes, it is the spookiest time. The veil between the two worlds grows ever thinner. A black cat just ran across the roof that I can see from my window, so things are shaping up very nicely. Did that really happen? It actually really did just happen. I thought it... (gasps) I thought it was a squirrel or a raccoon. I mean, we have a lot of cats running across roofs across from me, uh, so it's not, like, that unique, but it did happen in my line of sight right now. Uh, well, that is incredible, and obviously a very mystical experience is about to occur in your life. <laughs> Uh, that mystical experience is on this episode we're finishing up with Bram Stoker's Dracula which we started last episode just in time for Halloween we finished the book Uh, if you would like to listen to the first half that's on our feed we ended it with Lucy's first death now it's time for her second so grab your garlic flowers and crucifixes and let's dive in Uh, First, let's catch up with the characters. We spent a lot of time last episode talking about Van Helsing, who has a much larger presence in the second half of the book. Um, He's just, you know, reminder that he's what he's Belgian, Dutch. What is he? (laughs) He's from uh, Amsterdam, isn't he? Uh, he uses the wrong tenses and random words, but he's, he's basically the vampire doctor. He knows everything. So he's around and he ended the, the, our last podcast with him saying, no, it is just beginning. Uh, so he's still there. And then we have the four suitors of Lucy. So we have John Seward, the mad, the insane asylum guy. We have Arthur, who, since his dad died, is now being referred to as Lord Galdaming throughout the book <laughs> because he got his father's title. It's like he really had to change his name in halfway through the book. Uh, and then we have Quincy Morris, the dumb American, the other suitor. And they're all still around. Um, and Lucy, who's dead. Or is she? <laughs> She's, uh, you know, they say the first death is the, the best. <laughs> were, you, were you really gonna go for the first death in the deepest yeah like, <laughs> first actually no she's a shallow death right now because they keep bringing her out yeah so they have to go hang out in her crib because van helsing knows that she's about to walk through the night um but what happens is through a series of everyone's favorite method of plot conveyance newspaper articles <laughs> we find out that there's this, there are these children in the neighborhood who keep disappearing and turning up like in the early hours of the morning at random places with small puncture wounds in their neck. And they're all like, oh, we were playing with the beautiful lady, except for they, for some reason, say it, boofer lady. Which and... sounds so much dirtier. Like, <laughs> that sounds like, oh, no, like that. You can't write that in a newspaper. Like no one under, <laughs> like no one with income less than $100,000 in this book can speak English, I guess. i think you're exactly right and everyone thinks that the kids are making her up they're like oh they're just like all these kids keep getting bitten by giant rats i guess we gotta really take care of that yeah but nobody cares like they don't (laughs) some kind of guard they're just like oh this is crazy um and and van helsing is immediately like oh well it's lucy she's sucking children's blood obviously so he makes seward john seward go to her crypt with him uh where they witness lucy walking through the night and like 
drinking children's blood essentially so, so <laughs> if, if if like i can interject it around the time we ended i think it was like five or ten pages after the stop but it was basically around the same time after lucy dies van helsing is like we have to cut her head off and i'm really sorry but this is gonna suck for arthur but we have to do it he then is like oh whoops someone took the coin from her grave or whatever we can't do it and then we have to wait like 20 pages for him to do it again? Did I miss something in the logic there? It seems like he was like, we have to do this. Oh, no, no, everything's going to be chill. Oh, wait, no, we definitely have to do this. I think it wasn't that everything was going to be chill. It was that someone took the crucifix, so now they had to wait to some other time to cut off the head. That part of the mythology is not really clear, other than it seems like if this was released serially, they had to do the, like, oh, well, can't do this right <laughs> now, because then what's going to keep you coming back? The, the best part about all of this is that uh, Van Helsing just asks repeatedly, very politely, for permission to cut off her head. I think he asks he asks <laughs> Seward for permission, then he asks Arthur, and he just keeps saying, you know, guys, may I please now cut off Lucy's head and stuff her mouth with garlic? Like, it's like, he's just asking, you know, if they can have him over for dinner, it's just chill, you know. He's got to take care of some business, it's fine. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, I guess he does get to cut off Lucy's head because after they see her walking around in the night, uh, they're like, okay, she's definitely, we can all believe in vampires now. We finally all know what's going on here. We all get it. Now we have to, we have to stop this. We have to release her soul from this evil creature. And uh, they they do. So they, they trap her out, out in the crypt. Um, and they, they see, so Arthur can see and know that they're not killing someone who was accidentally buried alive, which he kind of thinks. Uh, so, um, let's check in with Claire's prediction from the last episode where he predicted that Arthur and Lucy would have like a super sexy blood sex scene. Um, and they kind of almost do like they almost do in the thing. She opens her arms to him and she's like, Arthur, come live with me forever. And he wants to do it. And Van Helsing is like, no. Question to you guys is, would you have done it? Yeah. Like, I'm... you you have a super, you, you have your super sexy spouse who's even sexier in blood death. And <laughs> they'll be like, come with me and we will be immortal. Who says yeah, and no? You, you're super strong. I mean, the only downside is you can only go out at night, which I guess is kind of a bummer, but... But not even, because Dracula goes out during the day, as we will learn later. I guess you have to get kind of strong to do that, but he definitely goes out during the day. So I, I did have a question about, it seems like the vampire mythos where sunlight at all, I think that comes from Nosferatu, where because of like how they were filming or they were like running out of time, for some reason they basically had the last scene and they didn't know how to kill Nosferatu. And they're like, oh, well, the sun's coming up. Let's just shoot that and they'll kill him. So I think until that point, vampires could go out and about during the day. They just couldn't like be their utmost vampiric. They were just in whatever form they were. Yeah, that's kind of what Stoker says in this book or what Van Helsing says through Stoker is that um, whatever shape Dracula's in at sunrise, that's what he has to stay as. Uh, but he can be around as as they see him around during the day. Uh, like when he goes to the zoo, which we talked about in the first half. Uh, Lucy has has not yet figured that out yet, though. So they get her. They get her in the in the cemetery at night. And <laughs> I think what's so well before we talk about her most gruesome death. What I wanted to know is, Claire, like you think that it'd be pretty awesome to be immortal. And I'm almost like, if it wasn't for the fact that you had to drink children's blood, 
sure her <laughs> life seems so much better now that she's dead and not in these like weird confines of morality because they all just they describe her as super sexy sexy she's like sexually aggressive she's like inviting them to do things and she's super hot they're like oh she's yes. so voluptuous so voluptuous i swear to god like 12 times in three pages to describe lucy it's incredible <laughs> But the, the, the connotation is really negative. It's like, ah, oh, look at this slut, which is horrible. Well, so this is this is actually something very interesting, and it ties back into what Jacques Sergent, the vampire expert, uh, said when I went to his museum in uh, Paris, is that the reason why the church hates vampires, and he cited that, like, in in like all those like gospels that are missing, there's vampires and there's vampiric creatures in the Bible is that the the two problems the church really had with vampires is they offer you eternal life on this plane, which is not what the church is about. They don't want you to be happy here forever. You have to suffer in this life to get to the next one. And also you work during the day you work. I mean, you know, this back in, you know, feudal times when really the Catholic church really, I guess, shifted this thinking you basically worked and toiled and then you know other than a couple hours i guess for church that's basically all you did so the night though was when you know if you had some money or whatever you'd go to the bar you'd have fun you'd you'd find a man or a woman so the fact that a vampire offers you freedom uh at night and also eternal life is like what the catholic church just hates and this is what jacques sergeon uh lectured about for two hours uh in the best day of my life so, okay, so about the the vampires sort of providing an alternative to the Catholic Church, was there still this idea that you have to kill people to maintain this life? Like, yes, I guess it's freeing, and it's it can be, it can allow you to embrace some things that maybe the church didn't like, but was there always this attachment to, like, blood and death? Because I feel like if you have to kill a bunch <laughs> of children... Maybe it's not worth it. You don't kill them. You just sap sap their life force a little bit. If you sap the life force of enough children, you just, like, spread it out. It's like distribution of wealth, but you're taking their money. It's like blood This book hates distribution of wealth. This book is all about consolidation of wealth. Uh, Well, again, this just all comes back to Jacques Sergent. The vampire does not take... He gives. I mean, Dracula, for some reason, kills all the men and keeps all the the pretty women for himself. But he has the ability, it seems, to bestow eternal life on everybody. So if if eternal life is a spoon and this ability to go out and party every night and sleep all day, which Andrew W.K. I think is on board for, uh, is it really (laughs) a bad thing if you drink a child's blood and they live forever? Well, okay. Everyone can't be a vampire, right? Because eventually, there will be no more people. That's the plot of Daybreakers, an Ethan Hawke film that's really good. (laughs) Let's just jump right to Lucy's death, her second or her real death, as Mina calls it. Uh, That is when they stake her uh, in in one of the goriest scenes in the book, I think. She's like blood is everywhere because they stab her in the heart and decapitate her. Uh, how? What did you guys think of this? How does this rank in terms of gory scenes in horror? I, I thought it was good. I thought it was. Uh, I mean, we'll get to this later. But unlike other scenes in the book, I thought it was you know a good payoff where it built up so much to Lucy becoming a vampire and 
them having to prove multiple times that she was a vampire and Van Helsing asking multiple times, can he cut off her head, that it was uh, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, Arthur seemed appropriately traumatized. The one thing I will say is that uh, while the staking, it was a real, it was a real good staking. Um, <laughs> the actual once Van Helsing finally gets to chop her head, it's kind of like yada yada. Where so Arthur puts the stake in, she convulses with blood, and sort of her eyes gasp and or her mouth gasps or whatever. Uh, but then then there's just like a sentence, it's like oh, and Van Helsing, you know, sliced her head off and stuffed garlic, and then we left the crypt, and it was all right. Uh, and I was like, wait, come on, like Van Helsing, you know, give him some payoff. Come on. I mean. So in, in, in shows like in Buffy, when she stakes a vampire, it, it doesn't really look like it takes that much effort, right? It's not like you have to push through the flesh or anything. She just stabs the vampire and it turns into dust. Uh, this scene describes, one, Arthur has to do this to his ex-fiance. And they're like, but she would really want you to do it because you're sending her soul to eternal rest. And he has to use a hammer. Like, he has to hammer in the stake, which I just thought was really, really, like, that's just a that's just an extra level of cruelty inflicted upon poor Arthur by Van Helsing, who has just upended his life worldview so much in, like, 36 hours. One, he's like, okay, you can't kiss your girlfriend as she's dying. Two, she's actually a vampire, and now we have to release her to heaven. Three, it has to be in the world's most violent, horrific way possible. You have to hammer this piece of wood into her chest. Last good scene of the book. That's what I think. Oh, I just, I just <laughs> agree, book, but it, it was a really good scene. I think if the book ends after Lucy, it's a stronger book than uh, the next, than including the next hundred pages. Um, I just want to read a little bit of it because it's so horrible. All right, here we go. Arthur took the stake and the hammer, and when once his mind was set on action, his hands never trembled nor even quivered. Van Helsing opened his missile and began to read, and Quincy and I followed as well as we could. Arthur placed the point over the heart, and I looked as I could see its dint in the white flesh. Then he struck with all his might. The thing in the coffin writhed, and a hideous, blood-curdling screech came from the opened red lips. The body shook and quivered and twisted in wild contortions. The sharp white teeth champed together till the lips were cut, and the mouth was smeared with a crimson foam. But Arthur never faltered. He looked like a figure of Thor as his untrembling arm rose and fell, driving deeper and deeper the mercy-bearing stake, whilst the blood from the pierced heart welled and spurted up around it. His face was set, and high duty seemed to shine through it. The sight of it gave us courage so that our voices seemed to ring through the little vault. That's dope as hell. I mean, that's that's totally a sex scene, right? <laughs> that is just like... Yes. So graphic and so erotic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rem Stoker <laughs> was just sitting there like, ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 take that, take that stick and hammer it right in that white flesh. <laughs> Well, what's also so crazy to me is when they're talking about it later, like they're like, oh, we're going to kill Dracula in one of his lairs in London, but we can't, we can't kill him in a house that's too close to people because it was so loud. And it's like a sexton works at this church. He didn't hear the screaming and presumably eventually someone else is going to get buried in that crypt and they're going to be like, oh my God, why is there dried blood everywhere in here? <laughs> I just, I had, I left with so many questions. But yeah, that's totally a sex scene and probably the most graphic and gruesome thing in the and book. And it's so good. Oh man. Uh, that, that that part is just like, Mwah, spooky as hell. I love it. <laughs> it is real. Okay, Lucy's so dead. Lucy's dead. Now, 
Lucy's dead. She's she's which is really weird because the book spent so much time with her. I'm like, all right, I guess she's dead forever now. She is. She has she peace. Back, you know, as, no ostensibly she ascends to heaven. I guess is what is implied. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's implied in this entire book that once you stake a vampire, their soul is released from the devil and can go to heaven. All right. Well, let's check in with some other characters that were in the first beginning, the beginning part of the book that we've kind of lost touch with. Jonathan and Mina Harker, who got married while Jonathan was recovering from brain fever in the mountains. Uh, violent brain fever. Violent brain fever. Yes. And uh, Mina, who is just trying to live her life, and they're they're working at the solicitor business because they've inherited it, and everything seems to be going totally fine. Uh, Mina hasn't read his journal and then one day they're out in the street and like Mina is kind of checking out a lady <laughs> she's like I saw this really lovely woman on a wagon and then I realized someone else was checking her out too and Jonathan was staring at him with a very intense gaze and that person is is Dracula who's also checking out the babe on the wagon and she's like oh Jonathan keeps getting so weird and she so she reads the journal she's like oh my god that must be Dracula <laughs> she just puts all these pieces together really fast and then I and then Van Helsing shows up and is like oh by the way your best friend died and no one invited you to the funeral also she was a vampire and we had to stake her in the heart <laughs> um, the one time Van Helsing is to the point is when he's giving the worst possible news to Mina yeah it's, and it's crazy and then Mina takes a while but she she buys into it and they're all like and they're like okay yes this is real we can all agree that this horrific experience that Jonathan had in Transylvania was real and Dracula is real and he's here ruining all of our lives so that brings Mina onto the team which is great because Mina is very smart however everyone else in this book is very dumb yeah (laughs) Jesus Christ they're all so dumb it's so crazy uh, so Even Van Helsing, who is a professor, <laughs> is extraordinarily dumb. Well, John Seward and Van Helsing are both doctors, but they're both very bad <laughs> doctors. <laughs> like, they are very bad at taking care of people's health. Like, I guess they know how to do blood transfusions, and that's like the only thing that they really know how but to not do. Not even, because they don't know blood types. Well, maybe just like no one knew blood types. You can't super blame them for that, but... <laughs> Like, they just don't notice the signs of people's health. They seem to think that knowing a fact will somehow damage your physical health. Well... Which is extremely strange. It's a little true. So, uh. so, we jump into the second half of the book, and I kind of want to talk about women and how women are portrayed in the novel. Because in the beginning, we have Lucy, who everybody loves, but she doesn't seem to do very much. She's just, like, pretty, and then she dies, and everyone's sad, but everyone loves a dead pretty girl, because then she can never disappoint you. That's, like, the theme of so much Victorian novel writing. Uh, and then we have the second half with Mina, who's obviously very smart, and she puts together all the pieces of the story by comparing everyone's testimony and typing out everyone's journals and finding all of the facts that lead them to conclusions about Dracula and how to find him and where his lair is and all this stuff. Nevertheless, all of the dudes are like, we should not tell her any of our plans at all because it will be too emotionally straining for her. <sighs> so, I mean, this is what what is what is going on here? Why don't they tell Mina? Because what happens is then Dracula ends up like getting Mina too. <laughs> Yeah, they think they they think by leaving her in the uh, lunatic asylum by herself is a good idea. While well, they go check out Dracula's house, which is literally right next door, like oh she'll be <laughs> fine, you know. He's not gonna go next door. He's like he won't figure that out. There's a pretty uh, woman up there. Why would he do that? We have no history that Dracula preys on pretty women that know nothing. 
it's also like they don't give her any garlic they don't give her any cross it's like there's only one cross in all of london and it's buried now so you can't get another one it's crazy like van helsing has unlimited supplies of communion wafers and he has one cross only because it's just it's so and jonathan even had a crucifix that saved him from dracula in transylvania and he doesn't give it to mina i'm just like you all deserve to be murdered by dracula well they all arm themselves with crucifixes to go into the house right into dracula's house oh yeah and they have like they have all the different sacred things yeah on their on their person uh but they don't give any of it to mina they're just really stupid and they're like oh even though you're in this lunatic asylum with this with renfield who the ate all the animals that we talked about in the first part who obviously knows something about dracula like they can't figure out his deal like they can't figure it out at all uh unless lest you forget this is the world's worst insane asylum and there's just an open window it is the way they treat mina is just so outrageous. Like, even if they were to use her house as, like, a headquarters, there's no garlic. Like, yeah, as you mentioned, they don't do anything. She is the only intelligent character. And they just, like, leave her to... Uh, she's, like, bait for the whole story. That That's the only thing I could think of is Bram Stoker didn't know how to write the second half of his book. He's like, the only way we can do this is if, is if Mina's bait and... I don't know. If I give her a cross, there's no story here. Well, okay. So Renfield's window is open. And what happens is since he's been trying to get Dracula's attention the whole damn book, Dracula eventually flies into the window and is like, what's up? Do my bidding. And Renfield's like, I will. And that's how he gets into the house. And then he can go hang out with Mina as well and suck her blood. Um, she gets really pale, and no one seems to notice that the exact same situation that happened with Lucy, like, one month ago is happening all over again with the person they see every day. But, Claire, like, I think what you said is important, is that Bram Stoker was like, how do I keep writing this novel? So what I want to know is why aren't Mina and Lucy the same character? Like, why are there two women who sort like, I, because... What happens is something very similar to what happens with Lucy is by the end of the book, all of the men, all of Lucy's lovers love Mina too. They're all like, we loved her so much. Um, she has a son at the end of the book and they're like, ah, the son will know how much we all loved his mother. So like Mina also kind of gets a bunch of, bunch of husbands and Dracula loves her too. Like, I think if this book wasn't in some way meant to keep readers reading and there, there, wasn't, no, there wasn't an end in mind... I feel like they should have been combined, just like one smart woman to have to, to like give these men stakes. But instead, they repeat the same emotional journey that they have with Lucy. It's very strange to me. I just don't get yeah, it. Yeah. I, well, I think I think it's because he needed to have one, you know, death sex scene with Lucy. And so he had to kill one of his women off. Uh, and so he just conveniently had her, you know, bookish friend, I guess. And then they have, but, like, the fact that they have the exact same feelings for Mina, like, the entire book is very strange. I think this literally, they, it feels like they do that with any woman they interact with for more than a day. They just, everyone just immediately <laughs> falls in love with her. And, like, all of them in the same way where, like, we will all, you know, give our lives to you. Although at one point they all pledge to kill her <laughs> if need be. And, a very, and it's written as a very, you know, romantic and, uh. Um, meaningful moment where they all get on a knee and say, you know, it's like that scene in Lord of the Rings where Gimli's like, oh, you have my axe and the other guy's like, oh, you have my sword and they all say, 
Yes, Mina, I will kill you. <laughs> the- well, <laughs> Jonathan reads the burial rites. That scene is amazing. I think we figured out why they're so yeah. dumb. These men are just walking boners. That's what they are. They're just ambulatory <laughs> yeah. boners, and that's, that's their entire role. I mean, literally, even Renfield falls in love with Mina because he, after he invites Dracula into the lunatic asylum, and then he, see, he sees that Dracula has bit her, and he turns on Dracula. He says, oh, God, what have I done? He has corrupted this pure woman, and it is my fault. So he tries fighting Dracula and, of course, loses, and they find him crumpled into a ball on the floor of his uh, asylum room. And uh, as as the essential Dracula points out, which is actually pretty funny, it has some footnotes that are more than three quarters of the page, which is a little bit much, David Foster <laughs> Wallace. Like, let's calm down. I know those are endnotes. Don't get on me about the endnotes in Infinite Jest, listeners. Uh, but there's one footnote that's like, so they think he has a spinal injury, and they're supposed to be doctors, and they immediately turn him over, which you should not do if someone has a spinal injury. I will say Renfield has like, the spookiest line in the entire book for me when he's sort of he's acting very cordial and polite to everybody it's when he's first meeting most most of the other guys besides van helsing and seward i think um and he has he has a few good lies about quincy being from texas which i found funny where he's like ah texas uh what is the line um uh it's reception into the union was a precedent which may have far-reaching effects hereafter (laughs) Uh, you know truth yeah good call redfield um but then he so then he sort of freaks out and begs sewer to let him go and for me the scariest line of the entire book is when all the men are leaving and redfield just turns to seward and says you will i trust dr seward do me the justice to bear in mind later on that i did what i could to convince you tonight and that was like i was like oh hell yeah i am in on whatever this plot line is of course it ended up being nothing you just got killed by dracula that, that was when he was um, trying to get out of the asylum right that was when Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that he wouldn't let Dracula in, and then, but of course, Seward never regrets it, even though it's totally his fault that what I'm about to describe happened to Mina, which is that one night they all come home once they finally figure out that Renfield has been talking about Dracula this whole time, which somehow they couldn't put it together, and they go back to the asylum, and they open the door of Mina's room, they have to break down the door, and... They see Dracula in there sucking her blood and then forcing her to suck his blood. Uh, And it's just, then they're like, oh no, now she's corrupted forever. And Yeah, Harker is on the windowsill, like, completely just sort of devastated. So what happens then is once she drinks the blood... They're like, oh, you're impure now. You're 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 tainted by Dracula's blood. But what is happening, as as Ben, as you pointed out here in our outline, is that it's kind of like a like a Horcrux situation. Is that now she and Dracula have this psychic link? <laughs> yeah, she she basically becomes Harry Potter. She gets a scar on her forehead that allows her to see into the mind of Dracula, which becomes also a very convenient plot device for the rest of the book. Yeah, so she gets the scar because Van Helsing's like, okay, even though I said that we were going to loop you in on everything, fuck that. Uh, We're not. We're all going to go look for Dracula's dirt boxes around the city and find his lairs. And I'm going to protect you, even though, for some reason, I seem to have forgotten where my friend in Amsterdam with all the fresh garlic (laughs) lives. So I can't get the garlic. No crosses are available. But I do have this piece of communion wafer, and I'm going to tap your head with it. So he taps taps her forehead with it, and she gets burned by it because she is evil now. And she has a scar on her forehead. Uh, And now she's psychically connected to Dracula. Uh, which, do- yes, it does become a plot device as they stroll around the city and find his lairs. 
uh, he decides he needs to peace out of London there. Like, he's getting too close, despite one of the scenes that I just do want to do a quick aside when they go to one of his lairs and all the rats come out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I thought that was so creepy also they're like oh we should totally try to get him during the day and they're like let's actually go to this abandoned house in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and they say oh we'll this? bring some dogs it'll be fine <laughs> yeah i guess it kind of works like the terriers chase the rats away but i thought that was in in the second half of the book there's a lot of explaining and not a lot of doing but the scene when all the rats like come out of the walls and the ground was very creepy yeah when they just see this teeming massive movement and they don't know what it is in the beginning. It was, it was yes, creepy. And then it's just thousands of rats. That's horrifying. Uh, but they kind of chase Dracula and then they find out from Mina's psychic connection that Dracula is on a boat. So they're like, where would he go? I guess back to Transylvania. And Mina's like, well, why can't we just let him go? And they're like, because when you die, like when you eventually die, then you'll walk again because you have the taint of the blood. Um, so she, so they have to kill Dracula or Mina's soul. This will is be also in part of the worst part of the book because not only is everything just explained from here on, but they continue to be like, and night came and morning came and we hypnotized Mina so she could tell us. And for like eight times, it's, I see water, it's on a boat. It's like, guys, you are doing the same thing for like 40 pages right now. It's just <laughs> repeating in a circle so that I can hear that you hypnotized her. Oh, but today it was a little harder to hypnotize her. Oh, but he's still on a boat. Uh, but we're worried that she's going to turn to a vampire. Uh, well, okay, well, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. It's like, you could cut all of this. He's on a boat. Great, let's go get him. Like, that was, it just dragged from, once. once they were worried about like, Mina becoming a vampire, and you're th- and they're after Dracula, which is when the book should be like at its most exciting. It is a slog to get through. Yeah, Bram it Stoker's is really uh, he's really milking his serialization. Yeah, it's so you're right. It's so frustrating because nothing happens. Like nothing happens until the plot. They're like, oh, let's like just wait three weeks for his boat to show up when they have the pages "Ah." explaining oh this is how long the boat's gonna take so you know what we don't have to do anything for like two and a half weeks because of how quickly we'll get there i was just like are you bram you couldn't have found a way to be like we have three days just get the action going i swear the end of the book is so boring it will so so they finally get to transylvania and they they all they split up because they have they are not really sure like dracula tricked them and he ended up docking in a different port than the one that they thought he was going to dock and so now they have to they were there in such advance they had so much notice but now they only have like two days to get there or whatever so they get these three different methods of conveyance um jonathan and arthur take a boat up these rivers to try to follow dracula's boat and then um, the American and Seward, Quincy and Seward, like, ride some horses to go and find Dracula. They try to do the overland. And then Mina and Van Helsing just decide to go straight to the castle. And they're all gonna, like, meet up. And this, this is, like, this is cool. This is tense. It's, like, all oh, these different things. Like, who could encounter Dracula? Probably they're all gonna encounter him together at the same time. And it's gonna be really climactic and exciting. But what ends up happening is that Van Helsing writes a diary entry about staking the three vampire brides and how he found them. Right. Yeah. I love that. That was, my, that was the best part of the ending is that Van Helsing just gets real horny in Castle Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and is only, like, snapped like, out of it because he hears Mina crying, like, miles away, presumably. 
probably. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was a weird. She's scene. camping outside in the snow. Uh, but what the so they finally catch up with Dracula's launch, which or his his like cart, which he's in in a coffin uh, or in a box of dirt, really, because it's like a shipping box of dirt, and it's being pulled by some local laborers that. For some reason, they're like, oh, we see all these people coming at us with rifles because, wisely, they, they like, armor up and they get all these weapons. And Quincy, the Texan, is like, let's bring a bunch of guns. <laughs> yes, Quincy, true American. <laughs> Honestly, I always think that's a great thing and it's important. Like, there's uh, – to bring it back to Buffy because we are talking vampires, this never happened again, which is infuriating to me. But in the first season, when Buffy is fighting Angel's um, – the the woman who turned Angel into a vampire, whose name is Darla, which is like really you're supposed to be this ancient Irish vampire her name is Darla, like fine, but she comes to the fight and she brings a gun, <laughs> which I always thought was so smart. Like, why would you? You know, she's fighting a human. She should totally just bring a gun. Uh, Darla was too smart for that show, which is why she ended up being on Dexter <laughs> instead. Um, but so they bring a bunch of guns, which I guess is good because the people who are dracula's moving company decide it's worth defending this box they don't even know what's in it they've just picked up from a port somewhere with weaponry (laughs) so they get in a fight with quincy and john and then the boat pulls up at the same time and it's and it's uh arthur and jonathan and they get into like an armed battle with movers essentially (laughs) it is very uh very protective movers it's very strange and so they have this huge fight but Dracula is not even a part of it because he's sleeping in the box. <laughs> the last, literally the last we see of Dracula is when he flees his house and grabs some money on his way out. That is the last time we yeah, see him in the book. And it's, I, that's the most dis- disappointing part of the second half to me is that Dracula did not get the quintessential long, uh, long-winded supervillain speech right before the supervillain's death where he explains his whole plan and what he was going to do to take over the world. Uh, we don't get that from Dracula, and that's what I really wanted. I wanted more Dracula. Yeah, I agree, because wh- what did he really want? Like, what did Dracula even want? Because they stake him. They just stake him and cut off his property. head again, and he doesn't <laughs> he, fight. He just he wanted just some property. <laughs> he just wanted some houses yeah. in London. And also a bunch of hot new brides. If that's a crime, then you know what? We're all guilty of it. Uh, but yeah, the the death was really anticlimactic. It was just, oh, uh, they opened the box and they killed him. And he turned to dust. Then his soul was relieved. Because, and they're just like, oh, we swear we saw in his face just before he died a look of peace. Just before we turned him into dust. And also, we don't even get this story, like this action sequence point of view from someone who is involved. We get it from Mina, who is watching from like a yeah. cliff. Which is very frustrating because you want the final battle to be kind of. And cool. Mina has a gun. I really, I was really hoping Mina was going to do it, uh, but of course, of oh, course, that she did not. Been awesome. Of course, she did not. I mean, what did everybody think of the ending? How satisfied or not satisfied did you feel? The least satisfied. Mina does nothing. This is where the structure of the book is a real weakness, having all these journals, because it just distances you so much from the action. I read the last, like, 40 pages today, and I was like, okay, 40 pages left. This is all going to just be, like, final battle. No, my copy is 315 pages. The final battle for me doesn't start until, like, 311. Uh, 
And then part of that is like the 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 afterward, and we learn that Mina had a kid, and the kid, and there's not even like a spooky like, and the kid sure does like to go out at night and is awfully pale. Like, oh, maybe she was a vampire. No, it's just like she had a kid, and wow, she sure was great. Well, back into the house with you, Mina. Time for you to like just be a mom now. <sighs> I hate it. I hated the second half. So let's check in with your one of your who dies predictions from our first episode, which you said the American. Yeah, is dead. he, he dead got it. He did die. He and also for seemingly <laughs> no, no he just got reason. sort of shanked <laughs> when he was trying to make his way to the box. Yeah. Like, yes, he was stabbed. By I had letters. to reread it because it is uh, Mr. Morris's. Bowie knife plunged into the heart, and then, like, a couple paragraphs later, it's Mr. Morris, who had sunk to the ground, leaned on his elbow, holding his hand, pressed to his side, the blood still gushed, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, did... Was it not Quincy that killed Dracula? Did Quincy give himself the wound? (laughs) He stabbed right through the body, right back into himself. Bram Stoker really hates Americans. Like, even when they're trying to kill Draculas, they kill themselves. But, you know... So he dies a gallant gentleman, which is the <laughs> quote from Mina. So, you know, kudos. <sighs> I just don't even buy this. Like, I don't buy this at all. Because he was like, I want to bring a bunch of guns. Like, there's no way. It, they're repeating rifles, too. They are. They fire multiple rounds. It's not like he's bringing a musket. He brought repeating rifles. And they don't shoot any of the movers. He's just like, no, I'd rather get into a close quarters knife fight. Like, I don't This is the opposite. That. You don't bring This a- is the opposite of Chekhov's gun, where they have a ton of guns and none of them go. <laughs> <laughs> infuriating. Just utterly infuriating. Uh, oh, it was so ridiculous. That was the end. I think we all seemed like, we all seemed pretty uniformly disappointed. The, the beginning was so good. <laughs> and then, yeah, after... After basically Renfield dies, basically after Dracula flees London is when it lost me. Because there was a lot, like, pages of just shipping routes that I didn't care about, really. <laughs> I was like, all right, come on, you know, let's get back to Castle Dracula, I guess. Well, you know how it felt to me was that it kind of felt like the second half was all just a 90s sitcom, which <laughs> yes. you know, everybody just knew what was happening. None of it would have happened. But they're like, let's just find all these really contrived reasons for people to not understand why someone else is in the room. <laughs> like, oh, look at all these wacky problems we're getting yes, into Yes, I want this story as, like, a Three's Company comedy of errors, but Mina <laughs> is the one that constantly, like, fixes it, but because she's in, like, Victorian England, she has to, like, co- always be like, oh, and then she, like, runs away, and it's like, oh, it's just in the house napping. What happened, gentlemen? And they're like, well, you won't believe it. Then she, like, winks at the camera, because we all know that Mina saved them. That's the story I want. So, so it's Arrested oh, Development with Mina as Michael. <laughs> but Michael's terrible in Arrested Development, so it's not even that. Like, she is competent, and she solves everything for them, and then just is like, I can't take the credit, because society. So... <laughs> <laughs> I would watch this. I would absolutely oh, I, watch I think this. I mean, I think you're so right about Mina. When she, so like, when she drinks Dracula's blood and has this whole horrifying scene with Dracula... Jonathan's hair turns white. <laughs> like he wasn't even conscious for any of it. He did not witness it at all. But he just hearing about it is too scared. He's so scared. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna do my best. And every second, like she pretends to be asleep to make him feel better. Like she just does all this stuff to make them all think they're doing a good job. When in fact they're all doing a terrible job. 
so that's the end of the book. We were all a little bit disappointed. I do, I do want us to wrap it up with a couple of questions. Number one being, does this book deserve its place in the literary canon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The beginning was so good and so spooky. And I mean, I would even say two-thirds of it are really, really good. And this is the most fun I've had reading a book in a long time, uh, particularly for a uh, a classic and then like a 19th century novel, which will, you know, have reputations of being stodgy or uh, mothball-y. This was so fun. Uh, it just, Stoker clearly didn't know how to end it. He had, you know, it was lost. He just had all this mythology and didn't have any <laughs> good way to answer his questions. Claire, does it belong in the canon? Uh, yeah, it, I, yeah, I think it definitely does. It, 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 the, the first half basically is what every adaptation has taken from it. And I actually wonder if because we think the ending isn't great, if that's how it has survived so long, because everyone like reads this and is like, this is so cool, so creepy, but I think I can do it better. Like if this book was a, was a better book at the end, you know, and if everything's sort of like tied up more and was more satisfying. Maybe it doesn't live on the same way. I don't know. But I, I did feel very similarly. I said this before we started. I feel very similarly to this book that I did for Frankenstein, where I loved the first half, and it's spooky and weird. And then when it's time to start tying up all of those loose ends, it's like, man, and, and like maybe that's because I'm a modern reader, and so I've seen all these adaptations in different ways they tie up the loose ends, or maybe it's just because these set up the very form, and it's really hard to come up with endings, but they gave us the, like, the base gold from which we could, you know, make this gorgeous, spooky things. I think that's a really good way to put it, that this is the bones, and we all get to hang flesh on the skeleton, in a sense. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. That's the best way <laughs> so, to describe it. Of course it deserves its place in the canon. I, I think I definitely agree with that. Uh, all right. Let's describe our favorite parts of the book in one sentence. One sentence only. One sentence. Thinking about it? Ooh. Are you thinking about your favorite parts of the book? Just concentrate. Imagine. Dream. Maybe, like, I don't know, drink some blood. I don't know what you're doing. Halloween Eve. All right, Ben, are you ready? Favorite part? I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I said it before on this podcast, uh, earlier on this podcast, my favorite part is the like seemingly 15, 20 pages where Van Helsing just repeatedly keeps asking permission to kill Lucy, <laughs> cut off Lucy's head. It's just same, and because he, he asks it as if it's the most mundane request. He's like, guys, I just got to do this thing. Just let me do it and it'll be fine. Uh, that was and way more just, than one sentence, Ben. <laughs> Well, it's a, you know, it's a, we're talking about David Foster Wallace. It's a very long sentence. Uh, a lot of semicolons in there. Terrible. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's, that's my favorite part. Because it, it's the absurdity of Dracula, but also being super gross. So I like, I loved it. I like it. Claire, one sentence, favorite part. Spooky, sexy, foursome, cock blocked by Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole book. But the, the part I love the most is when Jonathan Harker's like, that's it, I gotta see what's up with this house, and then, like, falls asleep in a different room, and then wakes up to three gorgeous vampires, and, like, for this book, that's like, this is the sexiest thing that could ever happen to a man of, like, station in England, and then Dracula shows up, he's like, no, you fools, I needed him for this house, in a month you can have him, because that's also this book is, sometime later something will happen. 
it is definitely sometime later something will happen. I think my favorite part of the book is when Lucy is dead and can finally start living her life by enticing people <laughs> into her sexy lady orbit and being able to accept the fact that she's totally in to how hot Arthur is. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Um, I also want to call attention to this. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to, but I think it's important. So um, in, in, the co- in my copy, near the end, when they are doing all of their traveling and they're like trying to figure out who owns the creepy boarded up house, like guess who? <laughs> um, they are just talking about, oh, he, it's Harker just talking about his day. And he's like, I got a cup of tea at the aerated bread company and came down to Perfleet by the next train. A footnote in my book notes that that is an actual tea shop that still exists. Like it's a chain of tea oh! shops. Exist, which i think is really cool and we should all go in in the uk to these t-shirts but it's also just product placement it's like a sponsorship <laughs> you just mentioned real business was like oh yeah people in my cool famous book go there you should go there too and he's probably getting a kickback from the tea company oh you know what my other favorite part is van helsing going on for like 10 pages on the strength of man brain <laughs> and the weakness of Dracula's child brain, but it is our man brain. Meanwhile, Mina is the only smart one. So he's going on and on about like our man brain. It's like Van Helsing, you are a real idiot. <laughs> Van Helsing's the greatest high status, like dumb comedy character. Like the guy who thinks he knows everything, but it's just a real dummy. He's so dumb. Uh, you know, it's not dumb. Our very cool game that we play at the end of this podcast, The Die of Death. And yeah. this is a very death-heavy book. It's time to do it. Uh, which one of you would like to go first? I'll go first. All right. I'm going to roll for you because you probably don't have a die at your house. It's true. I don't. All right. Here we go. <laughs> I rolled a number five, which means you get to play. Tell us the summary of your fanfic. Ooh. Okay. Uh... Honestly, I want a fanfic of, like, a prequel. I want a Dracula prequel, because uh, I want the story of Dracula that he was telling to Harker, where he was fighting in all those ancient wars and killing everybody, <laughs> uh, because that sounds awesome. That sounds like, uh, yeah, that sounds like the story I want to tell, because honestly, all these men are stupid. I just want to see Dracula kick some ass for a while. Yeah, all right. I mean, I think the worst part of Dracula are all the characters that aren't Dracula and Mina. So Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into that. I like that fanfic. I would read that on fanfic.net. Is that still a thing? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, all right. All right, Claire, I'm going to roll for you, too. Are you ready? All right. Thank you. You got a two. Oh, this is fun. So this game is called Who Goes Nazi? Uh, in which we ah. answered a question based on a Harper's Magazine article from 1941. You can find it in the notes for this podcast. Um, that asks us, what kind of person becomes a Nazi? Uh, who in this book would be a Nazi? <laughs> who goes Nazi? So, so other than Dracula, where he even has, when he's talking about all his wars, talks about, like, the pure bloods of Hungary, and so he's absolutely a Nazi. Um, I'm gonna say, let's see, I read this article recently, so I'm trying to, um, I'm gonna say Seward. Wow. is probably gonna go Nazi because he's been well, I'm trying 
Because he's definitely going to go men's rights activist <laughs> later. Because uh, he's been turned down by two women. Uh, and he walked in on a sexy, she's sucking Dracula's chest. And you know he's going to go on Reddit and be like, she sucked on Dracula's chest, and I was nice to her, but she didn't suck on my chest for my blood. <laughs> um, and he's a really bad doctor, so he thinks he's really smart. And he's like, I know about how the human... Like, he's probably super into... Um, I'm totally spacing on the word, but the, like... The head shape determines how, like, prone you are to killing people. <laughs> so... Yes, there we go. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's definitely... I think, yeah, it's Seward because he's dumb, but thinks he's real smart. Um... And, uh, and again, also everyone's all about, like, the money. And they all only hang out with white people, white <laughs> rich people. So they're all probably Nazis. Um, but I think I'm going to go, especially the way the, the Harper's article sets up the argument, I, I think I'm going to go that, that Seward uh, would be the one who, in World War II, is like, now you know what? Jeez, this, uh, this ethnic cleansing. I think I can get on board with that. So I think it's going to be serious. Yeah, well, this whole book makes, you know, the whole book, the whole thing is about purity. So they're it's all, all, yeah, all going to go Nazi. Yeah, except for yeah. Mina, because she starts to feel some sympathy for Dracula. And she's like, I swear, when I saw him die, I could see a look of peace upon her face. Like, she kind of wants him to be happy. So I feel like she's the maybe one borderline one who doesn't go Nazi. But they all care about blood purity so much. There's no way they don't get really into eugenics like they totally yeah. get really into eugenics they're they're definitely yelling blood and soil <laughs> as they're approaching <laughs> castle dracula <laughs> all right i'm rolling for myself now i'm rolling for myself uh i got a one which is wow this got racist and sexist <laughs> <laughs> all, all 300 pages <laughs> oh, i got this one last time too but it's fine because it's my favorite topic to scream at people about. <laughs> um, i think we've already kind of talked a lot about how sexist this book is there isn't another moment that stands out quite as much to me on the racism bit as it did in the first except for it's still really anti-romani and they like just they decide that of course the romani would help dracula and yeah. like murder quincy morris for some reason which is like oh i don't even know why you would do this and then they talk about the peasants in transylvania and how they see mina and they give her extra garlic in the food and it's like yeah cause she's a vampire and you should have listened to them at the beginning of the book um but, it, I mean, this whole book is is pretty sexist with the idea that Mina's great because she has she thinks like a man, and yet she's still not allowed to do anything because no matter how she thinks, she has the body of a woman. And if they had just let her handle this all from the beginning, then this book would have been 300 pages shorter. But no, <laughs> they have to keep her in the dark the whole time, and then the instant any woman starts enjoying herself, they're like, oh, it's terrible. And as, as the end notes of this book point out, which I think are, is, or the footnotes, which I think is pretty good, is that so Dracula assaults Mina, but she's the one who is tainted, which is like, it's not her fault, but now it is. Now she has literally the mark of Cain on her forehead because of something she didn't want to do. And that is garbage. <laughs> anyway, that is what I have to say about how racist and sexist this book got. Uh, that's, that's my feeling. That's my feeling about Dracula. Uh, I'm very glad that we read it, and I hope you all enjoyed it, too. If you have any feelings about who would go Nazi, your own fanfic to pitch, or you want to talk to me about what got racist or sexist, I'm always happy to have that conversation with you. You can find us on Twitter <laughs> at CannonballsPod. That's C-A-N-O-N, balls with a Z, pod. 
on Twitter. We're there. We want to be your friends. Uh, we are going to read the book Bleak House next month by Charles Dickens. Fascinating. So if you'd like to read along with us, pick it up for the bleakest month of the year, <laughs> November. Uh, we will be reading Bleak House. Uh, Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back for another book sometime. Oh my god, thank you guys so much. Uh, this was such a blast, and I promise if ever there's a vampire around you guys, I will tell you about it after it's too late for you to do anything. <laughs> thank you, that's all I ask. Thank you. As long as you then pledge to kill me if I ever should decide to becoming a vampire myself, we're good. Ben, the, ben, the day I met you, I pledged to kill you if I needed, so... <laughs> Well, Ben, and thank you as always for being here with me. I will see you next week and uh, we'll all talk to you soon.